Hallelujah. Blessed hope, blessed peace, blessed rest for my soul. Are you glad you have that hope? Amen. Praise the Lord Jesus. If you have your Bible, we'll turn to Exodus chapter 14. Amen. Go straight to the Word this morning. Amen. Appreciate that special, all that singing. Amen. Just love the presence of the Lord. Amen. Was created to live in that presence. <clears throat> Do you know you were created for that? Amen. Praise the Lord. That's, that's, that's how we're comfortable. We, we, we are who we really are when we're in that presence. Amen. Praise the Lord Jesus. I have a sermon here today that we'd like to speak, and brothers, you have that PowerPoint. You could just display that slide. I don't have any. Just keep that up other than when you're displaying the scriptures and the quotes. Uh, we'd like to just look here at Exodus chapter 14. We'd like to say again, it's been a privilege to come. Amen. I just hope and trust that the word spoke something to you last night. Amen. It was an encouragement to you to raise up our standard. Amen. When the enemy comes rushing in like a flood, God raises up a standard. Amen. Today we have a different direction we'd like to go and just something uh, that we'd like to speak on. I'd like to title this, How Will You Finish Your Race? How Will You Finish Your Race? Exodus chapter 14, let's just begin reading in the first verse. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, Stand still. That's a hard thing to do in the middle of a crisis. He says, fear not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Praise the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're just in all of your, your word here today. Lord, as I stand here, Father, with this burden, Lord, heavy upon my heart, Lord, I, I, just, I just pray, God, my prayer this morning, Lord, is that would you, you would use this vessel, use this unworthy vessel, Lord. And may you use me, Lord, to be just a tool of communication, Lord, where your thoughts from your throne can be passed to your children. Lord, your children are here today. We raise our hands, Lord, to your presence and your presence. And we say, Lord, we're in need, Father, for you to speak today. We have various issues and needs, Lord, and we are in need of our Father to give us a word so that we can go forward in our life. I pray, God, that you would do that. Would you meet the cries and the needs and the prayers of your children? Lord, may you just be glorified and magnified today, Lord. We give you the honor, the praise, and the glory in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. <clears throat> Thank you, brother. The Lord very recently spoke this, uh, spoke to my heart very directly in one of the most personal ways he's ever uh, spoken to me 
and impressed this question upon my heart. And it was in a, in a, actually in a race that I had entered uh, with, a, with a friend of mine. I'm not a, not a runner uh, a lot of people are, but I've, I've never done that before. But I had a, a close friend of mine want me to go into a, a very uh, strenuous race for, with him and, and with many obstacles through that race. And we had two or three months uh, before that that we tr- ended up training for this for this long distance, um, this long distance race turned out to be right at 11.3 miles, of which they told us it was only going to be eight, and I was prepared for probably about one. Um, we made it though; we finished the race. <laughs> Praise the Lord! But somewhere in, in, down that trail, with the group of men that I was running with, uh, four of us there. Uh, I became injured and my, my right knee began to swell up after about three and a half miles and uh, almost didn't know if I was going to finish uh, the race and, and it came to a point to where they were lagging trying to keep up with me and trying to stay behind with me because they wanted to be together, we wanted to run together, that was our, our plan and, and I just kept telling them, you know, go, you're going to have to run without me. And you're, gonna, you're just going to have to finish the race, and I, I'll finish, don't worry, don't worry about me, go, I release you, just go ahead, run, you know, run your race. <laughs> and so I stayed behind, and I believe the Lord did it intentionally that way. And, and as I was there alone uh, in the race and, and on the trail all by myself for probably over two hours, an hour and a half to two hours, and the Lord just began as I was limping along with my knee trying to get through this race, going through just, uh, just, through just uh, a real strenuous condition and facing obstacles. And the Lord just, the Holy Spirit just came down uh, in the middle of that and began to just speak to me and begin to just talk to my heart. And the Lord began to pose this question as I'd actually ministered this uh, a week before this. And the Lord almost came back with that same inspiration and the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart and, and said, how will you finish your race? In our passage of Scripture here, look there again in Exodus chapter 14. We find out after all of Israel's crying and their distress and their praying to God and their seeking, the Lord comes to Moses in verse 15. And the Lord says in verse 15, Moses, wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. You know, we preach on this power of prayer because I believe prayer is a powerful thing for a believer. Israel in this time that they find themselves, they were completely surrounded by their enemies. There were soldiers uh, and, and, and taskmasters who I'm sure they could even see upon their face and, and they could look at these men who for years of their life had oppressed them and, and tortured them and maybe even a commanding officer that they had spoken with or that they answered to directly and now they could look and see that those same soldiers uh, were on a direct route to come and slaughter them. And it was in this great situation of distress, and you could imagine the stress that, that these families are facing that they come to in their life as they have now left Egypt and left the life of slavery, which is all that they had ever known. They had left that life of, uh, uh, of slavery, and, and now they've came to their first obstacle in their race. 
And they, they come and it's a big one. This isn't, you know, just a small little river. I don't want you to think of just a little one mile long river that, they, that they've got to go through. But this is a sea. It's the Red Sea. And historians believe that at this point where they're going to cross is over nine miles across. Now you can swim a mile, you could swim two or three miles, and you could even swim long distance miles in a calm uh, river. But this is a raging ocean with ocean waves and ocean currents. You couldn't just cross to the other side. And the only option that they seen in front of them was to try to jump in and swim across. Now, you don't have a hundred or two hundred people. In this group, there's over 600,000 Jews that are in this large group. And that's just counting the men. If you were to count the women and children, it'd be almost three million people in this exodus out of Egypt. And so this is where the stress comes from for them. They realize that there's no way out, that they're, they're trapped, they're literally blocked, they're hemmed in. Pharaoh's army is behind them. And to make matters worse, God has led them in between two mountains. And these mountains are large with great sharp rocks and bastareth rock that is incrossable by any animal or human. If you look at these two mountains, and, and this is, this is, this is the, the way that, that God has led them. I begin to think as I was even in, in that race myself, they had uh, two uh, pieces of tape that outlined the, the edges of the course. And you know, I thought to myself, there was a few times where after my friends were way on ahead of me, and I, I remember I came to a part uh, in, the, in, the, in the race where uh, there was, there was uh, I could see ahead of me as I was coming running down uh, the, 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 the two edges of tape going down the course, and I could see them and I thought, boy, they're, they're not even that far ahead of me. I could easily, you know, catch up to them and, and rejoin them and and all of a sudden, I could see them ahead of me, but I came to where the tape suddenly turned and went into the woods and did a big horseshoe all the way back around. And I realized that's why I'm as close as I am to them, because they just came through this horseshoe. Then I began to look at the tape, and I looked at the course, and I thought, you know, if I was just to step over the tape and go out of the boundary, I'd only have to take this little shortcut for 100 yards, and I'd be caught right back up. No one would know, and no one would see. But then the Holy Spirit spake to me and said, how will you finish your race? You're going to take shortcuts in your race, and no one's going to watch and just have a, have a secret life that no one knows about, put on a face in front of everybody else, but secretly you have your own ideas? And the Lord drove me and said, turn down that horseshoe, go down that race. You've got to run your race. And there's no shortcuts in this race to the kingdom of God. And I begin to think of Israel as they come to these great two mountains. Now, it, the Bible doesn't say that they chose the way and they took a wrong turn or they made a mistake. But this is actually the race that was, as Paul said, set before them. And I begin to think of that as I begin to run that race that I didn't outline the tape. I didn't make the course. Had I made it, I probably would have put way less mud, way less trees, way less obstacles. I would have made it a lot less strenuous, a, a lot easier, the elevation not so high. 
but I didn't have that choice. And when you join this race of, of a believer, you didn't choose which way you'll go. You didn't put the obstacles there. You didn't choose what you'll have to go through and what sicknesses you'll face and sorrow that you'll endure on earth. But Paul said we must run the race that is set before us. So God has set the race before us. We can't choose it. God chooses it. And Israel didn't choose this race. They didn't choose this course. But God had intentionally led them down this road where they would be blocked in with mountains on the east, mountains on the west, an ocean, an impossible nine mile across raging ocean in front of them and behind them is an army that wants to slaughter them to make sport out of slaughtering the Jews. I'm sure when they, they begin to think of this, even Pharaoh himself begin, begin himself to look at this to think he's going to have a, a great victory because now they've left with the promise, but now they're hemmed in. They're trapped. Uh, they can't go left. They can't go right. They can't go backwards. Do you ever feel sometimes that way in your race of life? Where you get to a place in your life, and, and I know this message is for somebody, so I don't even need to ask. The, the Lord so burned this upon my heart and, and, and just inspired me. The Lord told me, let this be your confidence that I told you to, to speak this this morning. So I know this is for somebody and for, for you that, that's here today. Uh, you've ever got to a place in your life sometime uh, where you, you get to a place to where you, you just feel trapped. You feel hemmed in. You feel like you, you can't go backwards uh, where you can't go where you came from. And, and because there's a threat there and you can't go to the left uh, because of this obstacle. And, and then this is in your way to the right. And, and what's in front of you is an impossible circumstance. And you know that if you should try to jump in and cross, you're just going to drown. You're surely going to drown in the water of your own trouble. So the Bible says that they begin to cry. They begin to pray. And in great distress and in great need, this is what the believer does uh, when he's in distress and we find ourselves in a distressful situation and, and in a trial and, and, and you can relate in, in some, so many ways, so many of us can relate today, maybe the greatest trial of your life or uh, maybe a, a, a disease or a hardship that you've had to face or a question that you've had, a, a hard decision you have to make. Uh, for your family and, and maybe it's something you're facing right now and, and you're having to endure. But uh, no matter what you face today uh, as a believer, we all have faced crisis in our life. You're at a place where you feel like you have to have an answer from Almighty God. You can't go forward, you can't go left, you're, you can't go right, but God is going to have to move in order for you to go forward. And so as a Christian, we begin to pray, and we begin to call on God, and the Bible says it this way, that they begin to cry 
unto the Lord. This is a mark of a child. Uh, the Hebrew word uses for cry out to the Lord. It's a child who cries as a baby. Uh, they begin to cry out, and they do that because there's a they have a they, they, they're within themselves. They're totally incapable uh, to help themselves because they're a child. And so, out of that distress and that need, that baby begins to cry out. What is it's a natural reaction when a person who's helpless and can't help themselves begin to cry. What is the root of that cry? The, the, the reason the baby begins to cry is because it's crying for a higher power than they are. It's crying for someone stronger than they are. It's crying out for someone bigger than they are. Someone better than they are. It's, it's a need. And as a child of God, when you cry out to the Lord, what are you doing? You're saying, Lord, I need someone bigger than me. I need someone better than me to fix this problem. I need someone with wisdom, someone with skill, someone with ability to intervene on my behalf. Oh, that's why David said, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to a rock that is higher than I. And that child begins to cry as they cry out to Moses. And this is what a believer resorts to when God has given us. And let me say to you today, God has given us one of the most powerful weapons He could ever give to man. And that is the weapon of prayer. The power of prayer should never be underestimated. James says it this way, that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. That's what it means when it says the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. James says that in the mouth of a believer in a distressful situation, the power of that prayer of that individual is powerful and effective. The Bible saying is that the prayer of a believer, the prayer of a son or daughter of God, the prayer of a Christian, when they begin to cry out, it's a powerful and effective weapon. Oh, Elijah, the power of prayer for Elijah had became so powerful and effectual in his life that he prays for the rain to stop. And it stops raining for three and a half years on the earth. Elijah opens his mouth and begins to pray again and rain begins to come back and rain uh, returns to the earth because there was an earnest, fervent prayer of a righteous man and it didn't rain for three years and it started raining after he prayed again. Through the power of prayer, demon spirits have been conquered. Through the power of prayer, the devil's kingdom can be shaken. Through the power of prayer, addictions can be loosed from our life. Through the power of prayer, uh, people that are bound and afflicted with diseases can walk out uh, of this building free and, and in health and perfect health today. Brother Branham said it's the most powerful weapon God ever gave to man. Notice this, what Brother Branham says in the church age. He says the word preached actually demonstrated itself like a flaming cutting sword. It went to the consciousness of man. And like a surgeon's knife, it cut out the diseases and set captives free. Everywhere those early believers went, they went preaching the gospel. And God confirmed that word with signs following. The sick were healed. Devils were cast out. They spoke with new tongues. That 
was the Word in action. That Word has never failed in the mouths of believing Christians. I said that Word has never failed in the mouths of believing Christians. My brother, put your confidence in the Word of God today. I'm not saying that to put your confidence in you because we fail all the time. But that word put in the mouth of a believing son or daughter of God has never failed. Hallelujah. He says, oh, and in this last age, it's stronger here than ever before. And the true word bride, little flock, you little minority, hold on to the word. Fill your mouth and heart with it. Someday God will give you the kingdom. He says, and the seed shall possess the gate of its enemies. What's the first thing a child of God has for refuge when a trial comes? The greatest weapon was ever put in the hands of mankind. Prayer. It changes everything. It even changed the mind of God one time. Brother Branham says it's the most powerful weapon that God ever gave to man. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're spiritual to the tearing down of strongholds. In Ephesians 6, it lists that weaponry, the sword of the Spirit, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. It goes all the way through all the armor and comes to the end. And it says, having your feet shod with the gospel of the preparation of peace, praying always with all prayer and supplications. What is it? Prayer's part of your armor to fight the devil with. You say, Brother Matthew, how do I tap into this power of prayer? Let me give you a very simple principle that will create faith in your heart today. The power of prayer does not, does not exist in the person praying. Let me say it again. The power of prayer does not reside in the individual who's praying, but the power in prayer resides in the God that that individual is praying to. You say, why is that important, Brother Man? Because it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter. Let me say it greater. It doesn't matter who you feel like you are. Because sometimes we don't feel like much of nothing. But it doesn't matter who you are today. Prayer in the mouth of a believer has never failed. And it will not fail today. It will shake the devil's kingdom from your life. Oh, the prophet of God said, even in the body of Christ, even if you're the skin on the bottom of the feet, you still have every devil in hell underneath your feet. Glory to God. 1 John 5 tells us this. And why is this so important? Because it doesn't matter, as we said, who we are or what we feel like we are. The power of prayer resides in the God and the promises that the individual is praying to. 1 John 5.14 This is the confidence that we have in Him. Notice, not the confidence that we have in us. But this is the confidence we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've desired of Him. Oh, can you say amen today? This is the confidence that a believer should have. This is the promise that God has given you as a son of God, son of God and a daughter of God. 
The Bible tells us in the book of Philippians chapter 4, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Jesus says in one place in Mark chapter 4, chapter 9, it says, And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Amazing. It tells us that there are some things in our life that no matter how much money you have, no matter how much you pray, um, no matter how much you pay in tithes, no matter how much wisdom or revelation you have, the only way to unlock that gate to your life is through prayer. Jesus says even some spirits don't come out by screaming or yelling or hollering or jumping or dancing or music or atmosphere, but it only comes out through prayer and fasting. Yeah. So, there's, so, so what are you saying uh, today, uh, Brother Matt? What is your message here today? That, that prayer in your distress, a believer in the moment of need cries out to God. And God brings the result. I'm saying that men of God, women of God, children of God pray to God in their distress. They turn to God in prayer. Even so much as the deer pants for the water brook. When the deer is being chased by an enemy, he goes to the water and says, My soul panteth after thee. It's the same in prayer. When a believer is in distress and a believer is in need, and when you find yourself, and you may find yourself today in trouble uh, from on every side, but today say, Lord, as the heart, as the deer panteth after the water, so my soul longeth after you. So my heart longs after you. Prayer is the never failing resort to the believer. And spiritual children of God in their moment of need and distress turn to prayer. We can never overemphasize the power of prayer. Can you say amen to me? But I'm here to share today with you what the Lord has shown me in prayer. And I would never come to disparage what we've just preached about the power of prayer. And I'm going to go slow here so that you don't misunderstand me. But I'm here to to, to share with you something. And it's in no way to to, to disparage as we said after we just lifted prayer up. But I'm going to make a bold declaration here this morning. And that is that there are times in your life when prayer is not enough. There are times in your life and circumstances in your life and problems that you'll face that God is not calling you to pray. Or let me say it this way. Prayer is not what God is wanting you to do. He's not wanting you to pray. Maybe you're in a problem today and you're a need that you've prayed about for years. And let me just give you a message today. Prayer may be out of season for that need. Prayer may not be what God is calling you to do. You take that mountain, you take that issue, that question, that disease. You take that circumstance that you've just recently came into in your life. Maybe that thing you've prayed about, maybe it's not recent, maybe something 
You've held before the Lord for years and years with children or, or marriages or, or relationships or church or money or, or health, whatever. All of our life is just surrounded with, with so many things we could be needy of today. And God is saying, you've prayed over that need and I'm not calling you to pray anymore. But Moses was told when he prayed to God, Moses was told, Moses, it's time to stop crying. And it's time to go forward. So my message is very simple today. Go forward. Can you say amen? Sometimes God is not just looking for us to pray. But after we have prayed and committed it to God, God has given us the message today. It's time to get up, to stand up, to stop worrying over that need and go forward in the name of Jesus. It's time to press on, as Paul said. It's not a time to stand still. It's a time to move. God is saying to us, it's time to stop praying. It's time to start putting action to your faith. God spoke this so directly to me, it's just real, and if it's not real for you, that's okay. I'll just preach to me and myself and be blessed. But God so, so inspired that directly uh, in, a, in a great need in my own life and a, uh, just a, a, great, a great thing in my life that I've been praying over and holding before the Lord. The Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, it's good for you to pray to present your request. But don't just stop there and become stagnant and rust. let the devil rust out your faith and just petition and petition and petition. But be active. Be busy about the Father's business. Make sure you're putting feet in front of you and you're marching forward in the name of Jesus. As much as it's a time of prayer, it's a time of action. If we're not careful, we become stagnant in our own condition, our own circumstance, or our own problem, our own trial, our own affliction. And we become oppressed to get to the point to where we feel pressured from every side as Israel had just, if they had just stayed there, you know what, that's what they did. They huddled up in the middle of their, all their, the, 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 the problems on every side. They huddled and, and just began to cry out to God. And had they stayed there, they would have been destroyed and slaughtered by the Egyptians. And they begin to cry and say, what are we going to do? Oh, Moses. Oh, Moses says, Lord, what are we going to do? You, you led us. We came out with, with such energy and, and such a revival. And everyone was shouting and, and everyone was happy. We came out of Egypt. We're all free. We're all delivered. Now we come to the first obstacle. We can't go forward. We can't go left. Can't go right. Can't go backwards. Lord, have you just let us out here? As Israel asked, have you just let us out here to die? No, no, now we've read that question sometimes and thought, oh my goodness, how could you be so disrespectful? Let me say this today, I can sympathize why they said that. You imagine if you were following this man, Moses, and you come out of Egypt and the first obstacle is death. You're trapped, hemmed in on every side. What are you going to do, Lord? God speaks to Moses and says, Moses, you've already prayed, you've already cried, now it's time to speak. And go forward, Moses. Go forward in your life. Go forward in your journey. Go forward in your race. You've got to have actions. If we're not careful, my friends. While the time, while we're praying, 
our condition just gets worse. We become discouraged in our own faith. Say, but we're praying, Brother Matt. Sure, you're praying, but sometimes that's not what God is calling you to do. God is saying, now that you've prayed, commit it to God and move on past it. All the while praying and fasting at times when when God is calling you to do something about it. There are times when God is telling you to pray and do nothing. There are those times, but then there's times when God is telling you to pray and do something. God says, get up and go forward, take action. Because in this place of do nothing, you rust out. In this place, your faith begins to become idle. And then all it is is a request and a petition. And we don't go forward. And as a believer, sometimes as we said, we pray, 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 pray. No action, no nothing. We just pray. And your faith begins to get faithless. And eventually that non-answered prayer, as you think, stands and starts to discourage you. Discourage you in God discourage you in his word, discourage you, and you become a discouraged runner. Discouraged runner as discouragement begins to set in. As you see, you don't know how long you come to. You think you've met. I remember a part of that race. I was so exhausted and so spent and so beside myself, swollen knee, uh, headache, and, and just it was hot and humid, and, and I had ran seeming like forever. And, and I, there's mile markers, and I thought, I can't wait for that next mile marker. I, I, I know it's going to say six miles at least or seven. I come to it, and it says three. <laughs> I just felt all the breath and all the energy just, whoof, leave me. I'm at three. I'm at mile marker three. How can that be? i got to at least be at six. You begin to get discouraged in your race and you stop pressing on. You stop moving forward. You still come to church. You still pay your tithes. You still are a Christian, still a believer. You're not backslidden, but you're discouraged. But I think of this picture of these Israelites, and I say, if you stop there and you're crying and in your distress, you're going to be destroyed. Get up, Moses. Go forward, Moses. We've prayed over a matter. Oh, I love how Charles Spurgeon, I've got a lot of this inspiration from a devotional that I read from Spurgeon, and I'm going to read you a couple quotes, a couple quotations. He says, when we've prayed over a matter to a certain degree, it then becomes sinful to tarry any longer. Our plain duty is to carry our desires into action. And having asked God for His guidance, having received divine power from on high to go at once to our duty without any longer deliberation or delay. I have this quotation you could put up. He says, a vigorous faith. I love this. Remember, he says, a vigorous faith. Not a dead faith, not a discouraged faith, not a despondent faith, but a vigorous faith will often shut its eyes to difficulties. When faith looks upon a difficulty as being exceedingly great, then she turns to prayer. But on the other hand, after having, after having sought God's help and having received it, she frequently laughs at the impossibility and cries, it shall be done. And then instead of spending any more time on her knees, she boldly marches on, believing that the difficulty will vanish before her, that the crooked will be made straight, 
and that the rough places plain. Hallelujah. We are not to be always praying over a difficulty. When we have a fairly committed it to God, we are to act upon the assurance that he has heard us. Praise God. Hallelujah. I don't have any earth-shattering revelation message today to make you shake and tremble. I've got a very simple, direct, prompt, short word for you today. And that's forward. As a drill instructor would tell his Marines, march forward. Don't stop. Press on. Press the battle no matter what you've been through last year. No matter what storm you just came out of. Hear the word of God for you today. March forward. Don't stop. Don't look behind you. Don't look at the road you just came down and the road that you just crossed. Don't don't look behind. As Paul said, here's what you've got to do to run a successful race. You've got to be able to forget what's in the past. Leave what's in the past in the past. Forgetting those things which are behind me, I press towards the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Moses crying out to God in the time of trouble. Brother Random says, why Christ speak? God rebuking Moses back right when trouble was in session. And it's just nature seeming like for a person to cry out. And then what a rebuke it is for God to turn around and rebuke him for saying, for crying out to him. It looks like a very hard thing. God, Brother Random saying, Moses begins to cry. God rebukes him and says, don't cry. Speak and go forward, Moses. Seems like so many times we look at our relationship with the Holy Spirit uh, that, 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 that the, the Lord just does everything. And we're almost just this inanimate object, an inanimate clay that never does anything. The Lord, if, if the Lord wants me to move, God will kick me forward. Yeah, sometimes He will. Sometimes He'll kick you down. Yeah. And then sometimes He'll look at you when you're down and say, Get up. Don't cry, speak. We think the Holy Ghost is passive. That we're just passively living this Christian life. Let me say this. There is nothing passive about the, about the Christian life. There's nothing passive that will let you win the race. That you can't win and cross that finish line being passive. You've got to be determined. You've got to have a determination to finish your race. You've got to have a will to do and to be busy and to keep going forward. Sometimes we forget that the entire nature of the Holy Ghost is active. It's forward, alive, moving. Not to be idle because the Word says to do, to will the good pleasure of God. But what we believe sometimes as born-again believers... We can even get to a place in our life where we've made no progress in our journey. We look at our life and we look back down the last 10 years and we ask, what what have we progressed in in the kingdom of God? Let me say this to those born-again believers who've made no progress in the last year. Forward. Simple. Go forward. I'm not here to berate you or beat you or criticize you. I've got one simple message. Go forward. We ought to be going forward. As Moses said, 
God said, Moses, tell them to go forward. You're not to be idle for the kingdom of God because idleness produces a powerless life. Idleness in the kingdom of God, idleness in the family of God produces a powerless life. You've got to be a person with a vision. A runner has to have a vision. He has to always keep it before him. He has to constantly remind himself of the purpose and the reason. But before he runs that race, he's disciplining himself how he sleeps, how he eats, how he lives. He's training constantly. Even the Apostle Paul says that and says those that strive for the mastery, they do it for a carnal crown, but we for a spiritual reward. It says they do, they do moderate, they do uh, bring their body into subjection, that they have discipline in all areas of their life. You've got to eat the right things. And it takes discipline to eat the right things. And it takes more discipline than that to not eat the wrong thing. Yeah. It's a lot easier for me to look at that bowl of greens and broccoli and cabbage and spinach and force myself to eat it. That's a lot easier than looking at those donuts and that sugar and that coconut cream pie and saying, nah. <laughs> but you've got to be disciplined because you've got a vision. Why does a, why does a person, how can they do that? Because they've seen an image in their mind of themselves as a healthier, more vibrant, more in shape person. And so they hold that image in their mind. Let me say this to you, my brother. Uh, put the image in your mind of an overcoming Christian on fire with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, busy about the kingdom of God, and then discipline yourself to become what you see. To go forward, to press on, not to be idle, but to be busy. And if you're not careful, you can be a Christian born, filled with the Spirit of God, but rusting out in life. I spoke this just to the brothers in in the prayer meeting that we had and just began to pour my heart out and said, I I just want to be, I want to know that I've got a clear vision ahead of me. That I'm not just living life just to live in this, as we spoke here before, on this roundabout, you know, just this constant rut and routine of life. You know, if you're not careful, you'll fall into that rut and that routine. And you become idle and you just do the same thing. You wake up and you, you get dressed and you go to work and you, you, you take care of work and you answer the phone. You come home, you go to bed, say goodnight to your kid. And, and then, then you, 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 you know, your, your life just goes in the circle. Go to church on Wednesday, go to church on Sunday, go to work on Monday, work on Tuesday, church on Wednesday, work on Thursday, Friday, church on Saturday, church on Sunday. And you go over and over and the devil loves just putting you in that round pin of routine, doing the same exact thing. You're, you're you're not growing, you're not, you're, not, you're not increasing. And God is saying, step out of the round pin. Find the vision that God has for your life. You'll only be blessed when you can find yourself sowing seeds in the kingdom of God. We ought to go forward in love. 
We ought to go forward in knowledge. We ought to go forward in understanding. We ought to be increasing in revelation. We ought to be increasing in humility. We ought to be growing in dedication. As a Christian, my prayer life should not be getting weaker. It should be getting stronger. It should be becoming more fervent. I shouldn't be getting closer to the world. I should be getting closer to the Lord Jesus. My doubts should become less frequent and my faith should become bolder. Because the, 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 the Holy Spirit is calling us to move forward. The Lord began to deal, as we said, it was a week leading up to this. And the Holy Spirit, I actually just, the Lord spoke this to my heart and I opened up a document as I do many times when the Lord begins to inspire me for a sermon. And sometimes the Lord will just give me a title or just a, a small thought and I'll immediately open my Google Docs and I'll just, I'll just, you could go through my Google Docs, you'll see just 30 files of just one word, one line, one sentence. And the Lord just gave me that, that and just began to impress upon my heart. And I knew it was the Holy Spirit. How will you finish your race? Recently, we've gone through a lot of turbulence in our family and, and, and at home with just the, the loss in our church and loss of loved ones and death in the family. And I began to think of this as the Lord began to inspire uh, my heart and we've, we've recently just went through just three or four funerals. Just last year, uh, my grandfather passed away. And there at that funeral, and as I sat on that graveside, and even before the graveside at the memorial service, the, the words that were spoken over his life, and such an influential person, and, and such, a, such a, a man with vision, and, and, and just a life filled with the Holy Ghost all the way to his last breath, uh, just mornings, uh, every morning his routine was to wake up at five and six in the morning and open up a spoken word book. I'd, I'd come over to my grandpa's house and he'd always be in his chair uh, reading a spoken word book and he'd always want me to sit down and just take a minute to tell me about something he had just read and what the prophet had just said. And, and, and I think back now, I wish so bad I, I would have taken more time and consecrated more time just for a moment, just to, to sit and to listen and and you know, before he passed away, the Holy Spirit dealt with me about uh, six months. And the, the Lord spoke to me and just said, go spend time with your grandfather. And the Lord just impressed that upon my heart. And, and, I, and I just didn't know why. And I was, it was so strong, though. I actually called my brothers and told them, I said, if you're going to go see Papa, you better go and spend time with him. And I said, I don't know why I'm not saying the Lord, you know, it's maybe the Lord, maybe it's not, but I just feel, and and I begin to invest in those last months that I had him here. And I begin to just invest time and and to go over there for no reason. And if I wasn't doing anything, I I cut out and carved out time. I'm going to go see him and just just talk to him. And you know, those times when I see him and other times maybe to say, hey, and and go, I I just felt no stop for a minute and, and speak for a moment some time he wasn't oh he wasn't sick at that time still looked strong and and and, and no no indication of anything but but I knew he was elderly and I, and I just I, I'm I look back as I, I came to that memorial service and I began to weep over the loss but I began to weep inwardly and harder but it was a happy weeping as I just said thank you Lord that you inspired that to my heart and How much regret I would have sitting here now had I not obeyed that voice. And I begin to measure as you do and you come to times in your life and a funeral has a way 
to just cause you to stop and measure your life, measure your, your race. And I recently, my uncle very unexpectedly, very tragically passed. And I remember going through that. Then right after that, a sister in our church, an elderly sister, and just funeral after funeral. And I began to just imagine, just to, to have this graveside image of those loved ones there. And I'm sure many of you lost loved ones. And in my mind, I, I began to look at this picture that I had. I actually had a picture of a graveside and just decided not to show it here today. But I want you just to envision that in your mind as I begin to envision that in my own mind. And I begin to think of, and I, I, could, I could put myself there and the Lord began to deal with me, how will you finish your race? And it was almost like I was out of my body experiencing this as I sat there and seeing the faces on the front row of of all my loved ones and my family and my wife, my children, my friends, my father, mother, people I've known for years. And I, and I thought that if that was me, and for some unfortunate reason my life had been cut short and I came to the end of my journey and, and I would be laid to rest. And, and I began to think of this and, and I knew it was the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to do that here just for a moment. Today it'll do you good. And I begin to, to put myself there and maybe on that front row there's different faces obviously for you than they would be me. And the Lord began to just inspire me as I, as I could see the preacher coming up beside the casket and I just begin to ask myself this question. What will he say? What, what will they say? What will they remember? If my life was to come like that, and I ask myself, what, what words would be spoken over my life? Ask yourself that question. What, what words would, would be spoken? What happy things, what memories would people have? And then I begin to, the Lord began to, to turn the screws on my heart, and, and I said, but what impact? What spiritual seeds have I sown in my life, in my earthly journey, that would, have a, that, that would have an impact, that would outlast and outlive my mortal life. What, what, what people, what lives would have been affected in my you know, years on earth as I calculate and, and you measure them and say, out of all this time I've been given, what have I done? What lives have been changed? What what would they say? I guess what I'm trying to say to you this morning is this, is what legacy would I have left behind? And you're leaving one whether you want to or not, you're leaving one. Whether you want to or not, you're leaving impressions. You're leaving impact upon people negatively or positively. On your children and on the people watching your life, watching your testimony, watching your attitude watching your humility, watching your consecration, watching your ministry that all of us have. Is that okay this morning? And I begin to say, Lord, what, what, would, they, what would they miss? What, what is, I remember the words of James, earthly life is just a vapor. It's, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow. And I think of the words of Jesus when he said, lay not up for yourself treasures upon the earth where moth and rust corrupts and thieves steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven 
where neither moth nor rust do corrupt and neither to steal, thieves steal and break in. I began to come to that place in my life as I looked at that and as I envisioned that and, and I said, Lord, I want to make sure that I'm not just in a circle, in a, in a rut in life and, and I'm just busy with the wrong things. That I'm investing my time in the wrong people, in the wrong things, in the wrong places, chasing after the wrong dream. And you come to an eternal, you, you suddenly get a reality check is what the Lord was giving me. An eternal reality check. How will I finish my race? What will be said? What impacts? What, what impressions have I left in my testimony to my friends, to my family? What, what foundation have I left for my family to live upon? Or have I built my home upon the sand have I built my dreams and my ambitions in life? Have I invested my time into the wrong things, not in my children, not in, the, my, not in the things that matter, not in the parts of life that have an eternal, oh, my brother and my sister, we can spend so much time and invest so much energy and so much effort on temporary things. Things that aren't going to last. Things that aren't going to matter when you cross over. I ask myself, do I know more of the Bible than I knew five years ago? That's an important question. Have I studied the Word? Has my knowledge increased? Has my revelation... What, what, is, what have I done with my time that I've had? If I came to the end of my journey, would I look back and regret and say, I wish I wouldn't have spent the last few years chasing this. I, I wish I would have been uh, on fire and busy about the Father's business. I wish I would have been... I found myself in the center of God's will and purpose in every category in my own life. I wish I would have spent more time building a spiritual foundation of spiritual fortress for my children. I wish I would have spent more time uh, uh, telling them about the Lord Jesus. I wish I would have spent more time investing in their spiritual well-being. Oh, if I'm no more better instructed or taught as a, as a servant of the Lord, then where am I? It's time we, we look around and the Bible says and follow on. If we should know, we should follow on to know the Lord. We don't keep kids in school year after year. If you do, there's a problem. But you graduate from year, from grade to grade to grade. You're supposed to be graduating, yet so many uh, professed believers are, are there and they seem to have been stunted in their, in their earthly, in their, in their early profession. And they've not advanced in the kingdom of God one iota beyond where they were 10 or 20 years ago. Oh, and, and I look and I say others... Uh, who, who, have, who have waded into, into ankle-deep and knee-deep water, but have never felt the, the aspiration to go deeper in the things of God. Oh, let me give you my message here today. Forward. Go forward in your life. Grow in the grace of God. Grow in the knowledge of God. Don't stop. Keep pressing. Keep pushing. Keep running. Hallelujah. Forward should be the motto of our faith. My faith should be more constant and my doubt less frequent. Press on in your race. 
press on to the divine life. Forget the road you've already came down. Cry out to the Lord. I don't care where you're at today. Cry out with a hand raised and say, Lord, give me more unction. Give me more power. Give me more love. Give me more dedication. Make me more conscious of your word. Make me more conscious of of the atmosphere around me. Give me more faith to believe when I have trouble believing. Give me more faith to dedicate more of my time for your kingdom. Asa is a man in his life as we just bring this just to a close here today. I want you to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 14 if you have your Bible. We come to this man, Asa. And the, you notice you, his stories found here in 2 Chronicles 14, 15, and 16. He's a young king, a young man. And Judah hadn't seen this type of courageous leadership in years since the days of King David. And now God raises up this little teenager with, with a lot of zeal and a, and a lot of faith, a lot of youthfulness, but he's not going to let that stop him. He's going to become the king. And he's going to start to purge Judah from all of its idolatry. Idolatry from his dad. Idolatry from his grandpa. You know, sometimes you've got to break the cycle and you don't have anyone to start the pattern. You've got to be the, you've got to be the trailblazer in your own family. And you've got to break those patterns of idolatry. And Asa begins to break those and crush those idols down in his own life. And he puts God first in everything in his life. And the Bible says over all of his wants and desires, Asa puts the kingdom of God in front of everything. He kicks his mom off of uh, uh, the throne. And, and the Bible says that in the first 10 years, look at it, Second Chronicles chapter 14, verse 1. It says, So Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his stead. And in his days, the land was quiet ten years. That word quiet, whenever you read it, out of the place it'll say the land had rest. That means that there was no war. (laughs) That means it was a time with no war from, from adjoining or neighboring kingdoms. It was a time that had rest. A time... An ace's life that had peace. You know, that's what kicking out the devil from your home will bring. It'll bring peace to your home. It'll end the war. You put God first and kick out the idols. God brings peace to his life. And Asa starts as through this, begins on this peace, time of peace, the kingdom begins to become prosperous. And he works and he, and he fortifies the city of Judah. You have, to, for, you have to remember this is a time when the two kingdoms are, are split in northern and southern. And Asa becomes the king over, nor over the southern tribes with Benjamin. And there's idolatry for years. And, and now they, they, they come through this stage and northern kingdoms are, are, are living in sin uh, and, and, and completely have a sinful king. But now God's given Judah this godly man. And he begins to purge Israel from its idolatry. And now trouble strikes. The first trouble that comes to Asa's kingdom when this million man army, Ethiopian army, comes and marches against it. And Asa trusts in the Lord and 
The Bible records, we won't take the time to cover it, but it records that Asa begins to pray to the Lord. In verse 11, he says, Lord, it's nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with few or them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude. Lord, thou art our God, let no man prevail against thee. If we do our part, notice this. They, they, he begins to pray this prayer to the Lord, and he begins to beckon the Lord. He doesn't, he doesn't turn to the world. He doesn't turn to some other resource, but he looks to the, to the promises of God. And God comes and he smites the entire Ethiopian army. Million man army. And now Azariah, we've, we've preached on this here before, comes, this prophet comes to Asa and says, the Lord is with thee. He says this, the Lord is with thee. In verse, in chapter 15, the next chapter, verse 2, he says, the Lord is with thee. While you be with him, if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And Asa heeds this direction in his life and, and blessings begin to pour. Prosperity comes to this kingdom. Insomuch that the southern kingdom is so prosperous that the northern families and the northern tribes sees the prosperity and peace, packs up their home, packs up their family, and moves to the southern kingdom. And now that southern kingdom is becoming enlarged with people and families moving in from everywhere. It looks like there's just prosperity. Everyone wants to live under this righteous king. And now King Basha, who's the northern king of Israel, evil man, idolatrous man, he sees all this influx of people and begins to think, why is everyone leaving my church? Why is there, uh, what's the problem? What am, I, what am I doing wrong? And that jealousy from that king begins to set in. And he's become so alarmed with it. He goes down to the city of Rama. Now Rama is on the border, the very border of the north and southern kingdom. If you look at a map, that city sits right on the border. So this northern king in, a, in, a, in, a, in an attempt to, or a response, he, he fortifies Rama and he sends thousands of troops and military down to that city. And that city's only six miles away from Jerusalem. And now Asa looks out his window every morning and he sees this great army massing on his border. And this great military that's coming against him. And Asa was distressed because this was an act of provocation. He didn't know what was going to happen. But he starts to get nervous and they go, I don't know what's he going to do. Is he going to attack us? And because now he's, Asa's prosperous. Now everything's looking good. He started out with nothing, but now he has everything. And now he tries to protect what he didn't gain. He didn't gain any of that prosperity by his own wit or will or skill. But God had given it to him. And we make a big mistake when we try to take what God's given us and defend it. If God gave it to you, then have enough faith. God will be the one to defend what he's given you. He begins to defend it. And, and Asa, Asa looks at this and says... I don't know what I'm going to do here. He's made this provocation. And, and, and there's this great, this great military army. And now this army's at Judah's footstep. And now Asa, very differently than how he acted in his young years. Asa, after all of this 
If you read the, the chapters, faithfulness to God, obedience to God, loving the Lord, walked in peace, walked in harmony. You just think this, this race he's running, it's just such a, he's, he's going to finish so well. But now he comes to this place in his life, and for some reason, after years of staying on the right course, he's going to deviate from that course. And, and the Bible says that after all of this time, he goes and he goes into the treasure house of God, the storehouse. And he takes resources from the storehouse and he starts building his own army. And he starts building his own troops, building his own men. And he sends an army and begins to fortify up the border on his side. And to make it worse, as is always when you start to compromise on the, in the kingdom of God, one compromise just leads to another compromise. And that compromise just leads to another compromise. You see, the road down is an ever-winding tunnel that just keeps spiraling downward. And he, he makes it worse than that. He goes and he builds this army out of the treasure house of God. But to make it worse, he then makes an alliance with the king of Syria. He gets nervous. He says, you know, I, I'm not trying, I'm not saying I don't trust the Lord. I, I know it seems like that. I, I'm not saying I don't believe the Lord will fight our battle like he did with the Ethiopians. I just think for good measure, I think it'd just be wise and, you know, just prudent and a wisdom of me, a king. You know, if we just, we just shore up our borders, you know, we still trust the Lord and we still believe the Lord. But, you know, we're going to put our own little bit of human effort into this. And it'd be a good idea just to have a friend like the king of Syria who's a worldly heathen man. And he makes an alliance with a Syrian king. So instead of looking to God to fight his battle, he starts looking to the arm of flesh. And he pays this Gentile king to come into an alliance with him to try to fix the issue that he's facing. Seemed like Syria's working. Seemed like it works. Syria comes and the king invades. Invades this northern tribe and he overthrows all of the cities. He makes the king Basha retreat with all of his men out of Rama. And now it looks like Asa thinks it worked. Praise God. He comes to church. Let's give a praise report. Uh, let's give the Lord a hand for delivering us. But the Holy Spirit is grieved. And said, so this, this victory that you wrought was of your own hands, not of mine. I had nothing to do with this. And now this decision begins to start and it marks the beginning of this downward slant, this tragic end to this king's life who started his race so well. But it's not in how you start your race. It's how you finish your race. It's not in how well you began or how well you ran for those first eight miles. It's how are you going to finish these last few miles we have to run in front of us. And Asa's life takes such a dra drastic turn. Hananiah comes to him. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. He sends Hananiah, this prophet, and says, Herein thou hast done foolishly. Therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Anytime you trust the arm of flesh... You might win, but you'll have to labor and sweat and wrestle and fight. 
may seem like you're prosperous in your business and money's just flowing in, but how much of that do you have to fight and pinch and pull and come home stressed and angry and mad? And you call that the blessing of God? He says, therefore thou shalt have wars. And so now this prophet comes to this, this man, this man that was once young and is now old. And his life takes such a drastic turn. And you'd think, you'd think at that point, Asa would turn his life around. Asa would repent in the presence of a prophet, but he doesn't. In fact, he goes so bad, his heart becomes so calloused. One bad decision leads to a worse one, leads to a worse one, leads to a worse one. That after Hananiah rebukes him, he locks Hananiah the prophet up and puts him in jail. And he sends torturers in there to torture this prophet of God. What a different way as I read this story. How differently this man finished his race than how he began his race. Now Ace is stricken with a deadly disease. We find it later in chapter 16. He gets a disease. Guess where the disease strikes him? In his feet. Because his feet is going to speak of his race or his journey with the Lord. And he gets a disease in his feet and becomes crippled. He can't stand. He can't walk. He's got to stay seated at all times. And this disease comes to his life. And you would think, surely, surely now, God has humbled him to such a place and broken him. That surely now he's going to turn to God. But the Bible records something very, very, very tragic at the end of the chapter. It says that no, that he actually trusted, instead of trusting the Lord, the Bible says he trusted his physicians instead. It's a life that ends so differently. And verse 11, to me, when I read this verse, it, it just, it was, it, it's just the key for this entire chapter. Look at chapter 16, verse 11. The Bible says, And behold, the acts of Asa, first and last. Lo, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. His life took such a dramatic turn that it's recorded in two different parts of the book. How he began and how he finished. You see, there's two different parts of your life, two different acts of your life how you began your race and how you are going to finish your race. And Asa's sadly, his chapter, the last part of the book of Asa records in spiritual idolatry, turned his back on God as I read this story. I just begin to cry out to the Lord in my heart and said, Lord, let my second chapter of my life be stronger than my beginning. Let it be greater than my beginning. Let it record that I was stronger in the faith. Let me say like Caleb, I'm stronger now than when I began this journey. And God, I'm more than able to overcome the enemy that's in front of my life. Oh, is that your prayer here today? To say, Lord, let me finish my race. Not, not finish it in demise and sin. Let me finish it on fire with the fire of God and the passion of His Word. Let me finish it with a sincerity and a consecration and a dedication to the Lord. Last place we'll come to, I promise, and we'll close. Turn to Haggai chapter 1, just, just one more, and we'll have the musicians return. 
Haggai records as we don't want to, you, you know, if you've done, if you've read your Bible, you would know this story of cap, Babylonian captivity as God has just delivered his people out of this captivity. If they, they've spent years living in Babylon and, and now, now they, they get, they get the okay to go back and rebuild the temple. They're going to rebuild the house of the Lord. And God sends them men, Ezra, and, and he sends them these men and Haggai, this prophet, and they go back and they're going to their, their purpose and the entire reason for them returning to Jerusalem was to rebuild the kingdom, to rebuild its house, to rebuild the house of the Lord so they could have sacrifice again, to rebuild the temple before the Lord. But now they come to this place in their life after God's just delivered them and, and the, Lord, the Lord wanted them to rebuild His house. That was what desire He put upon their heart. But the Lord, it's so amazing, even after just a short time of working, the people started out their journey. They started out building. They started out working. They started out with hammers. And, and they started out with stones. And they begin to, under inspiration, begin to rebuild this temple. But after just a short little time, the Bible says in Haggai chapter 1, verse 2, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, that the, the, the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house shall be built. So they stop, and work and progress completely stops. And they stop building the house of the Lord, they stop rebuilding his temple. The Bible says that they say the time... Here's what. Let me give you the modern day interpretation of this verse. What the people said. We ain't got time for it. We ain't got time for the Lord. I, I got time. I, I'm so busy. You know, you know my schedule? Do you know my schedule, Brother Matt? Do you know how busy I am? I got time for no prayer meeting. I got time for... I ain't got time for that. I got time to dedicate to that. This is not the time. I'm too busy. It's a stage of my life. I, I'm just too busy. Can't do that. Can't, can't come to church on Saturday night. Or, uh, I, do you know my schedule? Do you know what we do? Do you know my life? I, I got no time for that. This is not a time that the house of the Lord should be built. We don't have time. Do you know why they didn't have time? If you read the rest of the chapter... Because what happened is they started, instead of building the Lord's house Monday through Sunday, they only started building the house on the weekends. Then through the week, they started working on their own house. And this started okay. They'd dedicate Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to working on their house. And Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they'd go and work at the Lord's house. Then they'd go back. But after a while, the, their own house becomes more important than the Lord's house. And, and they, then it becomes Monday to Thursday they work on their house and give the Lord Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Then, then it gets a little worse. And now, that's mo now we need Monday to Friday to build our own house. We'll give the Lord Saturday and Sunday. Then it gets a little worse. And we need Monday through Saturday. We'll give the Lord one day, one day. That's how we do the Lord. That's how we, exactly how we do the Lord. I got time for that. I got to build my own kingdom. I got to build my own dreams. I got to build my own family. I got to build my, chase after my own things. I got time for the Lord. After you read this entire chapter of Haggai, after they say this, I, the Lord gave me something so simple after I read this entire book. Such a simple principle. The Lord said, the Lord has a very simple principle in Haggai. Here it is. Take care of my house and I'll take care of your house. Hallelujah. 
if you take care of my house, I'll take care of your house. But if you don't take care of my house, don't come running to me when you need me to take care of your house and your marriage and your teenagers and your job and your health. You want to come and you want me to fix all your house, but you have no time to work on my house. So many people want the Lord to see to the affairs of their own house their children, their marriage, their job, their family, their finances, their health. But you look at their schedule, they have no time to take care of the Lord's house. Say, how do I take care of it? Prayer. Obedience. Worship. Dedication. So what was the Lord's response in chapter 1? Look here in chapter 1, verse 4. It is, is, is it time for you, O oh you, to dwell in your sealed, that word means paneled houses? And this house lies waste? Amen. In other words, is this a time for you to be building your own kingdom when the kingdom of God needs to be advanced? Is this, is this a time for you? He says, oh, you that dwell in sealed houses, and my house lie in waste? Look at verse 9. He says in verse 9, You looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I want you to pay it so close attention to this verse. This is what the Lord tells them. Because you've spent, because you have no time for my house and my things and my kingdom, and you only have time for your kingdom, here's what I'm going to tell you. He says, behold, verse 9, you looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because my house is that is because of mine house that is waste, and you run every man unto his own house? In other words, you worked so hard for that money, and when you got it all home and stacked up all your dollar bills, I blew on it. And it went poof. Why? Because you didn't have time for my house. You only had time for your house. My house lays waste. Are we guilty of that here today? I, have, I find myself, let me just preach to myself. I find that I have so much energy to do the things that I want to do, to run everywhere to my own concerns for business, for recreation. Yet I, I lack energy when it comes to the things of the Lord. I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm tired. I just want to rest. I have all the time for my kids, my family, enjoyment, but no energy for the Lord's family, the Lord's interest, the Lord's people. Do I have all the time in the world for my own house, but only a few hours on a Sunday morning for the house of God? And then we complain, oh, that preacher's going too long. <laughs> I'm closing, don't worry. Haggai says, I'm going to show you what happens when you neglect the house of God. I'm going to show you what happens to your life. He says here in verse 11, look here in chapter 1, verse 11. I called for a drought. You mean God, the drought came not because the devil? No, because me, I'm the one who put that drought in your life. I called for a drought upon the land and upon the mountains, upon the corn, upon the new wine, upon the oil, upon that which the ground bringeth forth, upon men, upon cattle, upon the labor of the hands. I'm the one who did that. He says, I'm the one who calls that in your life. 
Haggai was saying, you strive, you will strive, and you will strive, and you will work, but you'll never get ahead. All the money you make will disappear despite all your work and your hard effort. You'll never have enough. He says in the next chapter, I'll put a hole in your pocket so that all your money will fall through the hole and you won't have any of it. I got a simple principle. Take care of the Lord's house and He'll take care of your house. Praise the Lord. Let's all stand to our feet this morning. How will you finish your race? Bow your heads with me here today. Amen. Musicians, if you'll come. How will you finish your race? Race been set before you, my brother, my sister. And as I begin, this, the Lord gave me this inspiration through that race. And as I was going through that last few miles, had the feelings and temptations to quit. Told myself, I, I don't know if I can get through this. I'm not, not sure I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish. Every head bowed. Close your eyes. Let's just, just for a moment here, if the musicians would just play something for me. I begin to fight feelings of quitting and thought, you know, you, you didn't train hard enough and, and you're, you, you, your knee and you're tired and no one will know the difference. And temptation began to set in, but the voice of the Lord kept speaking to me, how will you finish your race? How will you finish the race that's been set before you, as it says in the book of Hebrews? We're, 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 we're surrounded by a cloud of many witnesses. You look at that faith chapter, that hero's chapter. He goes through Abraham and Moses and Joshua and, and, and Rahab and all of these heroes. Why does he spend all the time to list all those heroes? Because he's showing you they were on a race and they finished their race. And then he says, therefore, see and we're encompassed about with so great a cloud of many witnesses. Other finishers of the race. Others who've went on before you, loved ones, family members, ministries. Others who've went on before you, they've, they've finished their race. Wherefore, we're compassed about that great cloud. And if they finished my brother and my sister, then we can finish our race. And I want to say here today, if maybe you would raise a hand to the Lord, to say, Lord, let me finish my race. Oh, God, bless those hands. Maybe you could with that hand raised and say, Lord, I don't just want to finish. I want to finish well, Lord. I want to finish it strong. I want to finish. I want it, Lord, I want to finish it. Uh, whether it's a rapture, uh, no matter how my life, no matter what race you've set before me, you know the end from the beginning. You know my days, Lord. You hold them before you. No matter, no matter what it is, Lord. Let me finish it strong. Let me finish it in stride. Let me finish it with strength, Lord. Don't let me finish it discouraged and, 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 and despondent and, and, and depressed. Sitting down on the sideline. Let me finish it, Lord, with the faith that you've placed in my heart to say go forward. Oh, my brother and my sister, uh, that's my message. Whatever that means to you today, go forward in your life. Press on in the battle. 
press on to the mark of the high calling of Christ Jesus. Forget those things which are yesterday and are behind you and press on to the mark of the high calling in Christ. I want to finish well. I want to finish my race and stride. I want to keep that vision every feeling I had to quit. I, but every, every time I felt that feeling to where I, I, maybe I'll quit, maybe I won't finish. I had something, a vision come across my mind of the, of the finish line. And all the people there clapping and cheering as I crossed the finish line. And I could say like the Apostle Paul, I have fought the fight. I have kept the faith. I have ran my race and there's laid up for me a crown of life. I want to say like Paul, could you say that today? I want to be able to say I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I've kept the faith. Ran my race and I finished well. Oh Lord Jesus, truly Lord, that's my desire. Truly Lord Jesus, that's what I want. Lord, as I pray with these people with hands raised up all over this building, they want to finish, Lord. We've only got a few miles to go. May we keep that vision of that finish line in front of us if we ever get weary. Oh, as Paul says, if you begin to faint, look to Jesus, who for the joy set before Him. Lord, what was Paul saying? Paul was saying he fought. No doubt he fought the feelings of quitting. No doubt he felt the feelings of stopping or discouragement in his race. But Paul said, what kept him going to the cross? What kept him pressing on to Calvary? It was because he had the joy, the vision set before him. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. May we have the joy set before us today to give us strength to finish this race. May we focus, Lord, not on today's problems and crisis that we have. May we focus on your promises. May we focus on your word. May we begin to get a vision of a land. A land without trouble. A land without strife. A city without stress. A land without heartache, without pain, without sorrow. Without fear, without worry. Without a goodbye but a land with peace, joy, love, everlasting. Oh, what a place that's going to be, Lord. What a place you're bringing us to. Help us, Lord Jesus, I pray, to finish our journey. Maybe if someone here today would feel discouraged, maybe you'd lift a hand. You want to come to this altar, you can come, or that altar right there at your seat, and say, Lord, I just, wow, I'm just raising a hand. I'm at the altar today to say, Lord, would you give me strength? Would you pour a cup of fresh water, just a fresh cup from the king, just so I could finish my race? Lord, I'm coming to you to say, Lord, would you restore the strength for me to run my race? Would you restore the joy of my salvation? Lord, would you give me strength? Every day, Lord, every hour. I pray, oh God, encourage us, Lord Jesus. Lord, we press on, dear Lord, with the prize so clear before. 
find the strength to press on. Oh, sing it now in Jesus' name. It's in Jesus' name we press Lord, we press on and on, Lord, with the pride, so clear, clear before my eyes, I find the strength, we find the strength to press on. I'm going to press on, Lord. I'm going to forget those things behind and press. In Jesus' name, I'm going to press on. Oh, dear Lord, with the prize so clear before my Let's just worship him now. Oh, it's in Jesus' name. I'm going to press on. Oh, oh, it's in, in your name, Lord. I press on. enjoyed Brother Matt Watkins' ministry this weekend. Praise the Lord. Thank God. Very timely. Very timely. Praise the Lord. You know, we we made a stand. We believe what we believe. 
because God has opened our eyes to a great truth in this hour. We've burned the bridges behind us. We can't go back. We must go forward. Look at somebody and say, he's lost. We've won. We will go forward. We will press on. We will march in the battle. We will be victorious. God don't make junk. He makes Christians. He makes victorious Christians. Give the Lord a big hand clap of praise if you love him this morning. We're going to keep pressing on. We're going to keep pressing on. Let's sing this little course this morning as we get ready to leave. I know you've enjoyed Brother, Brother Matt's ministry. I told him a while ago, just before we went into the, the study, I said, we're still going to adopt you. I said, no, Brother, Brother Jason sent me a real hateful text the last time I said that and said that he would have me assassinated if I mentioned it again. But Brother Matt is still, we're still going to adopt him regardless of what Brother Jason says. He blesses our assembly when he's here, doesn't he? Amen. Praise the Lord. Remember service Wednesday night. Come back. We'll do this all over again. Don't you look forward to being in the house of the Lord? It's the best three or four hours of your life that you'll ever spend. Amen. Shake hands with somebody. You may meet a stranger here this morning, but tell them you're glad to see them. Give them a smile. Give them a good, firm handshake. Tell them you love them. Tell them to come back and tell them he's lost and we've won. We're going to keep pressing on. You're dismissed. We're going to keep pressing on. We're going to keep pressing on. To the higher calling of our Lord. We're going to keep pressing on. See you.